0: Hey, this is Bridget. And this is Annie. And you're listening to Stuff Mom Never Told You. Now today's episode is really a topic that a lot of y'all wrote in, you emailed, you tweeted, and you said, where is your episode on SESTA? And y'all were right. SESTA is an issue that impacts a lot of folks out there. It impacts some of the folks who are listening right now. And it's an issue that I think you know we owe it to the community to really to really dig into, right, Annie?
1: I agree, and I think that it's something that a lot of us might be confused about, or not entirely sure what it is and why there is all this controversy around it. So, can you kind of explain what it is, Bridget? I will do my best.
0: So okay. I, am, I am no legal expert, but okay. I will. We will have people who are smarter than me breaking this down later <laughs> on. Soon, in this episode, I swear. But let's just take a quick step back, a quick overview. So pretty recently, President Trump signed into law a bill that's a mashup of FOSTA, that's Fight Online Sex Trafficking Act, and SESTA, Stop Enabling Sex Traffickers Act, into law. And the whole thing is sort of commonly referred to as SESTA kind of under an umbrella. So when you think of both of these pieces of legislation, SESTA has sort of become the umbrella term to refer to both of them. Right. And... As you can probably gather from the name, it was sold as a way to stop sex trafficking, which I think most folks can agree, unless you're a sex trafficker, right. most people would agree, oh, stopping sex trafficking, that's very good. I would hope so. You would hope so. So it sounds pretty good. Um, it had, it had a, a push by some famous faces, you might remember. Amy Schumer and Seth Meyers both did PSAs in support of it. But then you might ask, Why do you have organizations like the ACLU and the Electronic Freedom Foundation and sex worker organizations themselves coming out against it? Yeah,
1: I I would ask that question, and we did ask that (laughs) question. (laughs) Uh, Before we get into SESTA, let's do a brief overview, very, very, very brief, of sex work and sex trafficking. Sex trafficking— is the fastest-growing criminal industry, and it generates an estimated $99 billion a year. On a global scale, sex workers have anywhere from a 45 to 75% probability of experiencing sexual violence. Amnesty International lists the human rights abuses that sex workers are at risk of, ranging from violence, arbitrary arrest and detention, forced eviction, exclusion from health services, or lack of legal redress.
0: So I'm actually glad that you framed it in that way because online, a lot of times I've seen these two issues sort of become conflated. And so something I've seen a lot of folks involved in the sex work industry say is that, you know, a lot of them say, listen, trafficking is awful. We also want to stop trafficking, but do not conflate people who are being trafficked, people who are being exploited, people who are being against their will, forced into something they don't want to do with adults who are engaging in sex work. Yeah. And so I think the way that you frame that, I think, is really important because a lot of folks seem to sort of be talking about them as if they are one and the same, and sex workers have been pretty clear that that's not always the case.
1: Right. It makes it makes it sound as if there's one narrative and that there, there is no consensual adult exchange of money. It's just people miserable being trafficked. There's nothing else. Um, and to get to the heart of... What SESTA does is it, it's pretty much making websites liable for user-generated content on their sites. So any mention of an exchange of sex for money and the website would be on the hook for it. And even though it'll be many months before it goes into effect, several sites and platforms are preemptively shutting anything that remotely could fall under SESTA down, like Craigslist, um, some sex trade forums, even some dating sites. And Google is already taking steps to police sex language by enforcing terms of service. And this enforcement got some folks blocked out of their own Google Docs for abusive language. So it's also touching on, like, internet censorship. And, I mean, the Internet is what it is today because the platforms that provide us this space to say things are not legally liable for what we're saying. And a big player in this whole thing is Backpage, which is a website that hosts advertisements, some of which are sexual. And days before Trump signed the bill, federal authorities, including the FBI, seized Backpage.com. So clearly they didn't need SESTA for this to take this action. Um, And to unpack this whole Backpage situation a bit, they've been on the radar since a 2016 California Department of Justice report asserted of the $135 million the site made from ads, 90% came from adult ads. After this, a Senate subcommittee started investigating Backpage looking for any link to the sex trafficking of children. According to the Washington Post, the site made some modification to keep the adult ads minus any mentions of children. And then also in 2016, which was a tough year for Backpage, the CEO Carl Farrer was arrested for allegations of pimping a minor, and his Dallas office was raided. The charges against Farrer were dropped under Section 230A in the 1996 Communications Decency Act, the CDA, which protects web publishers from being punished for posts by third parties on their site. And the CDA is a huge part of what makes the Internet the Internet. This is what SESTA is seeking to change. To get rid of essentially um, 230A of the CDA, early in 2017, the Supreme Court passed on a lawsuit brought up by three women alleging that Backpage played a role in coercing them into prostitution. The website did do away with all of their adult ads under pressure from that Senate subcommittee, but they labeled the act as unconstitutional censorship.
0: Certainly, this issue is one that that is you know very complex, but I think that you bring up a good point, which I see sort of reiterated online in conversations about Backpage and Rentboy is that some folks say, hey, you've got people who are being exploited against their will, and then other folks say, actually, being able to have access to sites like Rentboy and Backpage are the reason why I'm able to do this in a, in a safer way.
1: And going back to what you said earlier, Bridget, about how um, we kind of don't, or at least SESTA doesn't differentiate between sex trafficking and sex work— The House report on SESTA, in fact, describes sex trafficking and prostitution as inextricably linked. But this, again, paints everyone in the same brush, and it ignores sexual agency and the whole range of other experiences out there. We're not listening to people when we're making these laws.
0: Exactly. So I want to be super clear. I am not saying that there aren't, you know, people out there who are being exploited against their will. There certainly oh, are, absolutely. and I think we should be cracking down on that. But legislation that just lumps everybody together and paints everything with a, a wide brush, I think is the wrong way to do it. And I think the fact that you have a lot of these policies not being driven by folks who are in the industry, I think is really telling. And I think we're just categorically like refusing to listen to people who I think you know know, know their industry better than anybody else. And I also think— I mean, let's be clear. I think that we live in a culture where sex work is dealt with in a whole host of ways, particularly like in pop culture, in media, and news. And I think some of them are not super helpful. And so I think you either have this idea of like a pampered courtesan in a hotel (laughs) who's making lots and lots of money and like going on fancy dinners. Pretty woman. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, I'm sure that's happening. But also you have this image of folks who are coerced and exploited, and I'm sure that's happening too. But it just—I think what I'm I'm trying to say is that folks who are involved in sex work, like any other industry, deserve to be respected and deserve to be able to have their agency respected. And they deserve to be—people shouldn't be infantilizing them by making choices on their behalf, especially if they're saying these choices don't work for our profession or are actually furthering stigma or furthering harm. And so— I want to be clear. I think that it really comes down to creating a world where folks who are involved in sex work, just like any other industry, feel supported and that we we are saying, like, what is it that would make you feel supported in the work that you do? And then we try to connect those dots. I just feel like, for, for whatever reason, when sex gets involved, if it was any other industry, it would be like, yeah, of course. When sex gets involved, yeah. we kind of lose our minds a little bit and we forget that there is a diversity of stories out there and we, you know it should behoove us to keep that in mind we have to look at
1: oh all of the issues as if it were any other job which it really
0: should be treated as such yeah i i this is a different soapbox but i am all about sort of like demystifying sex work mm-hmm. you know we it's it's a job it's 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 work it work is right in the name right, right? Like, i I don't, I don't know i don't don't like this idea that it's like when you read—like, even in doing research for this episode, so many of the accounts that I read about SESTA were sort of l- laced in this sort of, you know, um, titillating, you know. Yeah. Like, the Im- the cover image is like a woman in fishnet stocking is kind of lit from behind walking yeah. on a street. And I'm like, well, sure, but really—I don't know. I just—I'm—I I, think that it's—even if you are not someone who is a sex worker— even if you're not someone who ever plans on being a client of a sex worker, I think it's on all of us to sort of destigmatize and demystify this kind of work because if we if it's stigmatized, then we can't talk about it, and it's it's happening as you just yeah. said. It's a it's a it's an industry that does not appear to be going away. So we need to be able to talk about it in ways that are realistic and aren't sort of steeped in this. I don't know m- moral outrage or, or moral <laughs> panic, right? And we
1: are not the only ones that think this. Um, Amnesty International has a few recommendations on making the life of sex workers better, and one is ensuring that they take take part in the development of laws that concern them. Two is guaranteeing access to health, education, and employment options. And another recommendation is decriminalizing sex work, since the evidence shows that criminalization – put sex workers at a greater risk by making access to healthcare more difficult, impeding their ability to report crimes to the authorities and keeping them from organizing. And they make sure to differentiate between sex trafficking and sex work, which they define as consensual exchanges between adults. So we're not just, <laughs> just ranting into microphones here. Um, this is... This is something that we, we have to be able to discuss seriously. And we also have to look at the systemic causes. If we want to address if we really want to address sex trafficking, then we need to look at why it's happening and why, as we said at such at the beginning, it it is a very um lucrative illegal business. And that is why we um <laughs> we we got some people who are more in the know, more on the ground in this to talk to, to hopefully help us understand all of these moving parts around SESTA and sex work.
0: Exactly. I, I couldn't be more thrilled to have folks who have been in this space and working in this space for a while join us for today's conversation. So after this quick break, you're going to be hearing from Kate Diadamo. We'll be right back. And we're back, and we are so thrilled to be joined in studio today by Kate Diadamo. Kate is a sex worker rights advocate working on issues impacting people who trade sex, including criminalization, public health, and exploitation and trafficking. She has worked with the National Policy Advocate at the Sex Workers Project and as a community organizer with the Sex Workers Outreach Project and Sex Worker Action New York. This work has really included a whole host of things—policy, advocacy, community and leadership building, and training— Right now, Kate is a partner at Reframe Health and Justice, a queer, trans, people of color collaborative supporting organizations with heart to live up to their values. Kate, thank you so much for being here today.
2: Absolutely. Thank you so much for talking about this.
0: Great. So, Kate, straight off the bat, what is SESTA?
2: So, SESTA is a law that just passed uh, and was signed uh, by the president. And what it does is expand liability For platforms which host ads for the sex industry. So what that means is all of a sudden it went from uh, having protection. So things like Facebook, you know, aren't legally responsible for what gets for the content that gets posted on their site because it's posted by someone else. And that's just a lot to monitor. And so what CESTA did was actually create this liability that not only the federal government, but uh, every single state attorney general can now file a civil suit if they think that a website is that information and it's connected to sex trafficking, and they think that they're not doing enough. Unfortunately, that law also did not define what enough meant, and so what it did was really create this liability, which fifty one government loss is pretty big liability, without explaining how to actually follow the law. The other thing that it did was create a brand new federal crime which said that people who either manage or own third party platforms um, which facilitate or promote prostitution, not trafficking, but prostitution, now are exposed to a, a federal crime punishable by up to 25 years in prison. And while that does sound really narrow, And that includes things like community-based organizations that run listservs, which provide harm reduction information, websites that uh, can bring people together to share that information. And I was a community organizer for years in New York City, and that would have exposed me to a federal crime for doing things like sharing bad dates on our listserv.
0: Yeah, so something that I've noticed, so I've done a, a little bit of volunteering here and there with um, organizations. There's a great one in D.C. called Hips, and they're sort of— Yes, I love Hips. Hips is amazing. <laughs> if, if people know Hips, it's so good. It's They have a van. They drive around D.C. Basically, it's like uh, harm reduction. So they're not trying to sort of, quote, unquote, and I hate this language, but, quote, unquote, save sex workers. They're like, what do y'all need? How can we get you what you need? How can we support you? Which I, I love that model where it's like, you know, how can we make this work? How can we make this work better? You know? Um, And so one of the things they do that I think is so revolutionary is that they have these listservs where people in the industry can share information about, you know, quote unquote, bad dates. So if one of your clients doesn't pay or one of your clients is just gross or sleazy or is not hygienic or gives you attitude when you ask, you know, you know, for certain things, people need to know that just like we have glass door for other industries. That's not an unusual thing. And, for me, when I found out that organizations do that, I was like, oh, that is such a democratization of information. Like people need to know, like you need to know if you're if this client is going around making appointments and then flaking on them and not showing up and you're going to waste your time. Even things that are not about sort of like putting someone in danger, just that are, you know, things that you should know. And the idea of shutting down the spread of information seemed so reckless to me. Like more information for people in any workplace is going to be better. More transparency is going to be better. So it just didn't make sense to me that they were cracking down on something I thought was so clearly a good thing to have.
3: Absolutely.
2: You know, communities develop ways to stay safe that work for those communities. And you're right about harm reduction. The cornerstone of harm reduction is preserving people's integrity, their self-determination, and saying, tell me what's harming you. And you get to decide what that means. And we're just going to work together to address that harm. And so developing things like bad date lists have been really important to the safety of sex workers. And the thing is, a lot of people say, oh, the government would never crack down on that. that that's absurd. And the thing is, it's not necessarily even about that. What this law did was create liability for platforms posting it. So those platforms have to decide whether or not they have the litigation budget to deal with the lawsuit to prove that that's okay. And when you look at the closures of sites like Backpage or like Rentboy, when you look at what the government is using to prove that they knew the prostitution was happening on their site, they go to things like know your rights information, which is cited in the Red Boy case. They go to things like interpersonal communications, where people from Backpage were saying, you know, we helped make the sex industry safer. And so when you look at that as a company trying to decide whether or not you want to go bankrupt and possibly go to jail for 25 years in order to maintain this information, that's really not a fair decision. And so while these lists themselves, you know, maybe they're not going to arrest the person distributing it, though <laughs> that's happened too. It's asking that, that company to take on liability for holding that, and they have to make that decision of whether or not they want to compromise their entire website and company to do that.
1: Right, and I was reading that um, bigger companies like Google can afford – to pay for a lawyer when any kind of lawsuit comes in based on this. But smaller companies are, like, preemptively taking action to take anything down that could be interpreted under this law, that they could come under fire from some potential lawsuit. So it it even gets rid of, like, it touches on Internet censorship and monopolies, kind of. So how did... How do websites, could you go more into more detail, like websites like Backpage and Craigslist, um, how they helped make things less dangerous for sex workers? Sure. And,
2: you know, internet platforms really provided people the ability to have more control over the way that they worked, have more control over the negotiations with clients, um, not necessarily having to work in public spaces. And so having access to the internet and online advertising really changed the game in terms of folks that were trading sex. And there's a study that's still being peer-reviewed, but that looked at the opening of the Craigslist erotic services section years and years and years ago, and found that it correlated with a 17% drop in female homicide rates. Not homicide rates for people that sex, female homicide rates. And when you talk to the authors, they said, you know, there's a, a range of reasons why this could be, but ultimately... It's because sex workers made up that high a percentage of female homicides, and having access to safety and harm reduction made that much of a difference. And so working online means that you get to screen clients in a whole new way. When you're on the street, you're probably looking at the side of your eye to see if you know, law enforcement is around to see who else is around when you're in a somewhat vulnerable conversation, and you end up rushing those conversations a lot more, then you end up going to a more isolated location to actually engage with that client, and so when you're working online, you can not only have longer conversations to negotiate for things like boundaries or condom use, or to just check if they're safe and see how they talk about, you know, what they want, and have a real gut check that you don't have when you're in a compromised uh, public area. And so then you get to make a lot more decisions about that physical interaction and where that interaction happens. So you get to have more control over where that is. Then on top of that, you do get access to things like bad date lists where you can take their information and run it through this list. You can check in with other people to say, hey, have you seen any other providers recently? And check in with those providers who... You know, maybe it's not a question of safety, but maybe it's a question of, hey, this person likes to push boundaries. Be prepared for that. So those kind of interactions that you really lose when you take away online spaces.
0: Yeah, so it seems like taking away those spaces just makes this work more dangerous. And it seems like it's almost one of those things where it's, you know, it's called a sex trafficking bill, but... It doesn't sound like it's actually helping to crack down on trafficking. It's just making people who are engaged in sex work that their work that much more dangerous.
2: Exactly. It's not really addressing trafficking. It's just making trafficking in the sex industry and the in the sex industry more generally go further and further underground. So that means it's more isolated. And it means that people who are engaged in sex are much more vulnerable. And that includes to things like trafficking and exploitation. We know what the root causes of trafficking are, which is uh, exploitation of someone through forced fraud or coercion. And it happens in every single industry across the board. So we're also, when we talk about trafficking, we have to remember that trafficking in the sex trade is actually not different. It's just treated differently. And the things that Uh, Increased trafficking. The root causes of trafficking are vulnerability and marginalization. And what this bill did would not address trafficking. It increased marginalization and it increased the vulnerability that creates exploitation. And on top of that, you know, having electronic footprint... It's really important to a trafficking investigation. It's really important to being able to identify victims of not just trafficking, but also if you know that you have a friend who works online um, and they go missing for a couple days, you can keep checking places like backpage to try to see where they are, try to track them down. If you're doing a trafficking investigation, you can go and look at the credit card that was used to post that ad and see what other cities that credit card was used in, what other ads that credit card was used in. Losing this losing this platform was not just bad for folks that are trading sex, and that includes trafficking victims. It also was really bad in losing an incredible set of information for people who do trafficking investigations.
0: And also, I mean, just on top of that, People who are involved in the sex work industry, if my end game is to curb trafficking, I would want people who are involved in the sex work industry to be allies in that fight. And if you make it so they're scared, they don't they don't feel comfortable speaking up about what they're seeing online, what they're seeing in their industry, I feel like you are— silencing what could be a really important ally in the fight to curb trafficking. It's like, if people are afraid to come forward and afraid to just talk about what they've seen, how are those people going to go to the authorities when their friend goes missing? How are they going to feel comfortable reporting something that's sketchy or just just doesn't seem right to them?
2: You're absolutely right. Um, You know, the people who know the most about trafficking in the sex industry is the person next to that trafficking victim. And I think it's really important Anything that harms people that trade sex includes people who are trading sex under conditions of forced fraud and coercion. And so we are harming trafficking victims every time we do things like this. And, you know, we know what the best practices for identification are. And that's true, again, in every other industry. The community knows first. And other people that work in those venues know first. And they're the people that a trafficking victim will trust and will go to and will say, hey, this is happening what do you think? What can I do? When I worked uh, with um, the Sex Workers Project, is a direct service organization that serves um, people who trade sex across the spectrum of experience. The main way that people were leaving trafficking situations was through other community members, because they were the people that they trusted. They were the people that they knew would not touch them. And knowing that you're in a trafficking situation, you know, knowing that you're in an exploitative situation is already difficult when we've so normalized the exploitation of people in poverty and marginalized folks. And so being able to go to the police and say, you know, no, I am breaking the law by engaging in prostitution, but let me explain this nebulous crime that I don't totally understand whether or not it fits the legal definition. And I don't know if you know if fits the legal definition, you know, trusting that is a very, very difficult ask. And so, you know, whether we're talking about the agriculture industry, domestic work, the best way to address trafficking is to lift the floor, to address the marginalization, which includes criminalization, which includes isolation that make people vulnerable and exploitable. Because trafficking doesn't target individuals, it targets vulnerability and it targets what can be exploited and that includes poverty. That includes homelessness. That includes knowing that you are gender nonconforming and you don't really have access to resources in your location. It includes knowing that you've been picked up for prostitution before and now you have a record that's going to be that much harder to get a job. And so if we seriously care about addressing trafficking, even if you don't care about sex worker rights, if you care about trafficking, then you care about addressing the vulnerabilities that make people exposed to trafficking. And this bill just increased all of them.
1: So we've established that SESTA is not actually that effective at curving trafficking, <laughs> but um, what would be effective?
2: The best way to address trafficking is to address root causes first and foremost. You know, no matter how good a service is or how victim-centered an investigation is, they're never going to be as good as if a person was never trafficked in first place. What we really need to do is you know, address the incredible, incredible economic justice needs in this country. You know, poverty is a serious problem. Not having access to a living wage job is a serious problem. And then not having access to adequate resources after that means that people are easily exploited and easily victimized. Um, Another part of that is criminalization. If you're afraid of going to police because you don't know how that interaction is going to go, then you're never going to go to report a crime. I think after that, we need to talk about You know, the way that the criminal legal system plays out in people's lives, and especially for criminalized and police populations, you know, it really undermines the ability for people to seek justice if they do want to go through that system. And so we really need to train people to undermine this idea of who is a victim and who is a criminal and what that means. And I think, finally, you know, even for folks that are identified as trafficking victims that go through the system... They get access to all sorts of resources. You know, it breaks service providers' hearts. And I have this conversation regularly when they said, we had this client, we did everything we could, and now they're raising three kids on a minimum wage job still. Have I done enough? Have I done, I did what I was supposed to do, and I still feel like I'm not serving them well enough. And so, you know, beyond all of it, if you want to address trafficking, address poverty, and in the meantime, basic services for victims of trafficking are
0: really paltry. So let's say I'm a listener and I say, "This is awful. I want to get involved. What can I do?"
2: Um, I think you know the most important thing is for people to really look at the spaces that they're in. Are those spaces, if you're on a college campus, if you work in healthcare, you know, are those spaces welcoming and accepting and friendly towards sex workers? If you work at a nonprofit. Is that nonprofit one that stands up for the rights of people who trade sex, the rights of people who are involved in street-based economies overall? And especially, you know, for this uh, podcast and, and these listeners in general, and I love your podcast and I love the things that you speak to, we really need to hold our feminism accountable. You know, if you care about violence against women, but you don't care about violence against sex workers, that's a really narrow definition of who deserves justice and who deserves to live free from violence. Just like if you're addressing violence against trans women, you don't really care about violence against women. And so I think in most spaces, as we talk about, you know, all of these movements of Me Too, of all of these spaces that are coming together and demanding that, you know, feminist issues become mainstream, important issues for everyone, that really has to include the many, many, many people who are living on the margins and are struggling to survive. And I think it's really important to recognize that sex work is a sign of incredible resilience. And it's been the backbone of so many marginalized communities. And we have to not just accept it, tolerate it. We have to celebrate the way that it has kept so many of us alive.
0: I I mean, I I I have chills. I could not agree more. I get that a lot of people out there for some reason, their feminism is not inclusive of sex workers. And I think, you know, I I, I think we have to do more work as feminists to help folks understand that sex work doesn't have to be like, first of all, if you're a sex worker, it doesn't mean that you're trafficked. Those are different things, right? That like, we have adults who are consensually involved in sex work. And as feminists, it is important to affirm and lift them up. There was a great thread I saw on Twitter that was like, if sex work has changed, impacted your life for the better, let us know. And Honestly, for myself, I was like, wow, it did not even occur to me that, you know, people are sharing for them what were positive experiences. And who, who am I to be like, no, that's not OK? Who am I to be like, no, if you're this is we shouldn't we shouldn't be supporting this. Right. And I think even right now, I mean, I I don't know if you read this interview with Cardi B where she talks about her background as a sex worker. But I think for a lot of folks, they are just now starting to understand that how stigmatized this work is and how for how long we have sort of allowed sex workers to be this sort of canary in a coal mine for what we will and won't support and that if your feminism does not support sex workers, you need to, you know, rethink what that means for you and, like, why that is.
2: Definitely. And when you look at, you know, Maya Angelou was a sex worker. Sylvia Rivera was a sex worker. And all of these people who have, you know, maybe every experience isn't like a positive, thriving moment of empowerment. But it, we're talking about capitalism and labor. And we don't demand that from any other industry and definitely not from any other industry that has mostly feminized labor. And so, you know, when we talk about sex work, we have to talk about resilience. We have to talk about not just survival, but thriving. We have to talk about an entire group of folks that looked at their circumstances and said, I will survive this today, and this is how I'm going to do it, based on the options that I have.
0: That's so real. Yeah. So I actually know that we have listeners who are sex workers who listen to the show because they've written in and said, where is your SESTA episode? And I said, you are right, let's do one. I know this is also probably, like, a very scary and intense time for those folks. They are facing backlash. People are, are sort of... Say, saying all kinds of, frankly, incorrect things about their industry, what can we do to support sex workers at this time? And, like, what, do you have a message out there for somebody who might be listening who is going through, like, an understandably tough time? For folks that are trading
2: sex out there, I think, you know, first and foremost, cheers to your resilience. Um, and I know a lot of people are scrambling, and they're figuring out the different ways to make ends meet, and they're figuring out what to do. And cheers to that. You know, cheers to your commitment to life. And, and to making things work in the hardest of moments um, is the thing I want to say first and foremost. Um, second, uh, for folks that are exploring new areas of the industry, um, there's definitely resources out there. If you go to um, we have compiled just some different safety material, which includes things like, you know, about bad management or screening and safety info. for working in a couple different venues as well as some safety planning stuff. So know that the information is out there for how to stay safe if you're exploring something new for the first time. And definitely still connect to your community. Um, you know, other people around you are going to know some of the best information about different places to work, you know, how to work, and and really connecting people face-to-face and ma- and building those relationships is going to be super important. And then, you know, lastly, and I really hate to say this, um, but I think it's really important that, you know, people, this is a moment of, of fear and instability and, you know, what feels for a lot of people like scarcity and so if you feel like you have to shift the way that you're doing things or take on clients that you didn't want to if you feel like that, that is something that you have to do and something happens it's still not your fault and there are hotlines to call for support but know that you know if you made a different decision that you usually do because that's what you felt like you had to do it doesn't undermine if something does go wrong And it doesn't undermine those feelings, and those feelings are still valid. And then to folks that that know that they have sex workers in their lives, you know, just reach out and say, how can I support you? You know, the best way to do that is. And so, you know, especially if you have kids, like, being able to call someone who's not going to side-eye you or throw shade at 9 o'clock at night to come watch your kids for two hours, that can be really hard. And so, you know, offer things like childcare, offer a ride. You know, if people need to get to somewhere a little bit farther out, it's little things that just make life a little easier that really often remind people that while there's a lot of really harsh and really upsetting things being said about Zuckerberg, there are people that still genuinely care, and that does really make a difference.
0: Kate, where can folks find out more about what you're up to and, um, you know, stay in touch with you online?
2: Um, if you want to, I'm terrible at Twitter, but...
0: That's I not true. That's I, I, I love your <laughs> tweets.
2: <laughs> oh, I am so old, but, like, learning Twitter and, like, having people uh, be like, your hashtag is really long, or <laughs> learning how to tweet for the first time, it's been a magical experience. Um, so I'm at uh, Kate DiAdamo, K-A-T. D a d a m o on Twitter. Um, also, the website Survivors Against Festa has a lot of different information on it. And you know, I I do my best to get back to the folks that reach out to me. Um, and I can't. I'll do my best to be timely. Um, but we really try. This is a really important and really amazing, really beautiful community. So I'm always excited to to find out more people who are in my community.
0: Thanks so much, Kate. I really, really appreciate you being here with us today. Thank you.
1: Speaking of people in the community, we have another interview with someone from the community. But first, one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. So we're going to be talking to Erica Kane. Erica is a 31-year-old Chicagoland creative, a dance teacher, and a sex worker who relies predominantly on her job as a sex worker to support herself and help support her household. She has experience in exotic dance, full-service sex work, adult film, and camera modeling. She's an advocate for sex workers' rights. She's an activist with a strong focus on black sex workers and working conditions, experience, and we're very happy to have her with us today. So, (laughs) right out the gate, you do a lot. What what is it like being you?
3: Um, (laughs) Exhausting and um, full of very interesting conversations, that's for sure.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, today we have been talking about SESTA. Um, Has SESTA already impacted your work or the work of other folks in the industry? And if so, how?
3: Um, I'd say for me and for, um, other sex workers that I'm seeing, whether I know them or not, just period, um, like, online, uh, a lot of changing of emails or switching, um, you know, who's hosting your website, Um, uh, you know, a lot of folks who are indie performers, for instance, like, who do, um, adult content and who work in pornography, for instance, they, um... The websites here in the U.S. are being affected, so a lot of them have to see coasting sites that are outside of the U.S., um, which, of course, is like more money, more labor. Um, I'm seeing a lot of sites getting shut down or certain areas of sites being shut down, or as far as know um, workers are concerned, uh, a lot of payment uh, apps like Paxum or um, Payoneer, and this is for... Um, Maybe, like, websites that are U.S.-based, but they have models that aren't here. Um, This is how they get their payment through direct deposit. So, the only other option outside of this would be waiting for a check for an extended period of time or not being able to work with the website, period. So, making arrangements around that. Um, And then, as far as, like, escort agencies, um, people who answer personal ads on Craigslist or Arrows, um, being able to... Have conversations with other sex workers about uh, your work or possible danger, or uh, just making sure you're checking in. And the other made it basically is being affected. Um, you're seeing a lot of panic too, which is uh, understandably so. Um, outside of that, um, anyone who would like want to do indie work, for instance, like if you're associated with a CAN site or, um, you know, you work under a particular company, it's a little bit harder now to break apart from that. So, this is more people who are getting, like, a certain percentage of their earnings taken away from them um, who would like to, like, get outside of that, certainly being affected, being discouraged from being able to break away from companies and do your own independent work. And um, you've already seen before SESTA and FOSTA that in certain areas of the United States, and this is another areas, period, that they have certain laws in place where um, before this, like, sex workers aren't able to work together, Um, carrying a certain amount of condoms on you is uh, suspicious, or being dressed a certain way in certain areas of a particular city um, could earn you a spot in jail or prison, um, even if you're not a sex worker, and that's where this is really important for people who aren't even associated with sex work. Um, This is going to affect people who, um, you know, who are on dating sites, even. Um, This is going to affect people who dress a particular way, people who are associated with particular intersections or marginalized folks on this planet and in the United States who um, have the freedom of speech or the freedom to do as they wish on online spaces, to sort of taking away the immunity that these websites have. So now they're unable to handle, you know, like things like lawsuits associated with this, which is now going to be a thing. So you're seeing websites that are even acting ahead of time. And getting rid of certain things that are um, replacing certain parts of their websites that make it really uh, user-friendly or make it possible for sex workers to even utilize or promote their work or market themselves.
0: Wow! So something that I was kind of struck by in listening to your response to that question is how innovative a lot of these folks have to be online. That you don't know if you know you wake up tomorrow and the website that you use to make your living, make your livelihood, support your family, support yourself, could be gone overnight. And that it really kind of takes a level of hustle. And I guess the only phrase that comes to mind is digital innovation to sort of stay a step ahead of that. You shouldn't have to, you know, if you're just trying to make a living. But I'm really struck by the way that folks have found ways of persevering in spite of being kind of, you know— cracked down on for just trying to make a living.
3: I'm seeing a lot of, um, while you're saying, this, I'm just thinking of how um, sex workers are using these online spaces while we can to sort of mobilize and, um, you know, speak with one another and share our experiences. And um, something I'm seeing right now is um, the uh, move to Twitter, which is a social media app now through Mastodon, I believe supposed to be a site that's actually sex worker-friendly and that supports what's going on as far as, you know, what we're speaking about. Seeing a lot of people online now who are even having to use, like, um, funding apps, which aren't so sex worker-friendly in the first place, to sort of pay bills and to, um, you know, navigate this really tough period and seeing, like, sex workers gathered together to sort of get that done um, which I personally experienced myself and a lot of other sex workers I'm seeing right now. Um, you know, just trying to navigate this financially is a lot and then switching over to different social media apps, um, having to delete images and, um, you know, a lot of us as far as cam sites are concerned um, because that's where the bulk of my financial income comes from is, you know, cam sites and webcam and adult content, right? And so, um, as far as that's concerned, being able to, um, you know, having an auto tweet system, which is very helpful. So, if someone purchases content, for instance, if someone tips or if someone leaves a positive review or something, this would be auto tweeted onto my work account, and then this would drive more traffic to either the site I work for or my own site, or uh, to where you could purchase content, so on and so forth, support my work registry. Well. But um, you know, now I'm seeing a lot of people who are disconnecting that and not utilizing that as a promo or marketing tool anymore because it's could just flags, um or shadow band even or what have you. So
0: Yeah, I can I can only imagine how tough that is. So so one of the things so when I first came across your work You tweet a lot about the importance of making sure that marginalized sex workers are at the center of this conversation, and that seems to be something that is easy to sort of get lost in these conversations. Why do you feel like it's so important for marginalized voices to be heard in this space? And also, how are marginalized sex workers more disproportionately impacted?
3: Um. Some marginalized sex workers are concerned. These are the people who, as far as SESTA and in this conversation, they're going to be affected the most and the hardest and the quickest, and, um, and this is even without this in place, as far as how sex workers are criminalized, policing, and all of those things. Um, it's, you know, black, brown, indigenous, uh, people of color who work in the sex industry, trans non-binary, non-gender conforming, um, homeless, houseless, um, you know, disabled, um, folks living in realities where mental health is a thing and, and getting to therapy or getting medication or, um, you know, navigating that period um, and, and keeping their nine to five or, um, you know, juggling multiple jobs at a time with those realities. Um, these are people who are going to be most effective. And as far as them being disproportionately impacted, um, you know, it's marginalized sex workers in the areas that they work, the sex work spaces that you find them in that are being policed the hardest, being policed in ways that are inhumane, that are um, they're not constitutional at all. And we're seeing this right now in New Orleans, for instance, with the raids that are going on in strip clubs. We're seeing this in New York um, with black and brown uh, exotic dancers who are on strike because of the work environment and conditions that they're dealing with. We're seeing this um, here in Chicago, for instance, with um, you know a lot of the raids that go on on the South Side, which is where a lot of the black and brown, you know, predominantly black and brown clubs are, where a lot of the black and brown vice districts are. Um, this is where you're seeing a lot more sex workers who would uh, be associated with school service work who are. Uh, doing their full-service work on the street who are not associated with escort agencies or uh, particular sites that, you know, put security or uh, a certain type of, um, you know, screening process in pr- in place that would be safer. Um, and then this would also, for marginalized sex workers who are working in, um, you know, certain areas of sex work that are legal or that are, um, you know, for instance, um, strippers Uh, people who are working on campsites, right, what happens if these particular environments don't exist for them or they're not as safe or if laws to, you know, prevent them from being able to do their jobs or being able to promote themselves, being able to survive, and you have this large chunk because you're not recognized as an actual worker, um, you know, so going to get a nine-to-five with a huge chunk on your resume missing as hard, and and what do you think the options for you know, those sex workers are going to be, and what sort of conditions do you think are going to, um, you know, be for sex workers who are well, service sex workers who are working on the street, who are working, you know, already in uh, very harsh conditions, who are, um, you know, just struggling to (laughs) make it through the bill cycle, and, um, maybe not even that, because there is no bill, because they're dealing with homelessness and houselessness. um, you know, it's understandably so that, you know, marginalized sex workers uh, very much so are distrustful of, um, you know, anyone who would work in, um, you know, in sort of, like, uh, law enforcement, uh, particularly cops, uh, because a lot of the harm that is inflicted on sex workers, particularly Um, the more marginalized sex workers, you know, they're dealing with cops who are inflicting harm on them. And how do you trust those particular individuals? How do you trust the individuals who are creating legislation without you in mind or your survival or your safety in mind to actually uh, create something that, you know, is livable? Yeah,
1: um, and working off that point, it seems like one of the biggest issues with bad legislation like SESTA is that they aren't including people in the industry when they put together policies that will impact that industry? If you were shaping education policy, for example, you'd want some folks with an education background on the team, I would hope. Um, why do you think so often folks with no background in sex work are the ones making the policies, legislation, guidelines that impact those people, the sex workers?
3: Uh, that's such a good question. <laughs> <laughs> it is, um, right? I <laughs> mean, Aside from the obvious, which would be association with sex work, right, um, I would say um, the stigma attached to sex work and to those who have experiences with sex work. Um, you know, you go from sex workers being viewed as this morally corrupt group, right, um, who are less than human, and then that goes from, you know, that to the view of sex workers as less deserving of certain basic human rights, Um and being handled in you know certain ways that we would com- with anyone else outside of that industry um, you know it goes from that to uh, you know doing sex workers is less deserving of basic human rights and then if that's the case and we don't view them as human in the first place, then how do you view them as capable of being able to add to the conversation of being you know bringing something productive to the table? Um, of being able to speak for themselves even, being able to, you know, have conversations around this and actually provide uh, insight about what they're experiencing, what's going on what they know to be the case. I would say that that would be the root of it. Um, I mean, and you could take out sex work and and put in any marginalized group of people here in the United States, right? And and we could say that, period. You could take out sex workers and just put in people of color (laughs) and, and ask why aren't there more people of color, you know, creating the policies, legislations, and guidelines that impact them. And we could talk about, you know, Uh, the history of this country and anti-blackness or uh, racism, um, you know, uh, white supremacy and, um, you know, ideas that circulate around, um, you know, the sort of country that uh, was built upon the labor of marginalized beings that never came in the community in the first place. um, How do you uh, then view those beings as being able to add to a conversation that, um, you know, is centered around their survival and well-being and uh, their basic human rights.
0: That's so true. So, so something that you mentioned in your answer that I that I kind of can't help but think about is you mentioned stigma. So obviously, a big part of the fight is destigmatizing sex work so that people. Don't feel that if you're involved in the sex the sex work industry that you're not deserving of basic humanity, right? So my question is, let's say that I'm not a sex worker and I'm not a client. What role can I play in destigmatizing sex work? Just anybody who is not who is not involved in the industry.
3: I mean, what we're doing now is very important. Um, you know, allowing sex workers to share their experiences and conversations um, that involve laws and. Um, you know legislation that directly affects them, um, supporting their work, um, which doesn't necessarily mean that you have to go to the strip club or buy porn or something. If that's not what you're into, but if you are, you know, put your money where your mouth is for sure. <laughs> and tip
0: well, but, um, if you are. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> there was actually there was a um, there was a um, but, piece in Rewire that was just you know how to be cool to your sex worker, and it's like be on time, tip well. It's like It's like oh yeah, be. Basic courtesy that you yeah. would any, anyone, really. Right. <laughs> right, put on deodorant. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
3: no, um,
0: like you could, you know,
3: I'm, for, for instance, I, I see a lot of sex workers, um, especially on online spaces like Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, um, Instagram, um, you know, in all lanes of sex work, too, who are, um, they're also writers. And they're bloggers and bloggers and they're artists. They paint and they sing and, you know, they do all of these other amazing things. Um, they, you know, do panel discussions and they talk about, um, you know, the history of queer representation and porn and, you know, all of these amazing things. And, um, it's always cool to, you know, do small things like retweet their work, like it, um, you know, also pay attention to what they're saying in these conversations. Um, Make sure that, um, you know, you keep an open mind and you hear what it it is that they're saying, regardless of what um, your views are on sex work and those who are involved in sex work. It's, um, you know, a conversation to allow sex workers to take the floor and, um, you know, providing that for them if you are... um, you know, rooted in revolution or you're particularly invested in um, the rights of marginalized beings at particular intersections, you know. You can't be for that if you're not for sex workers. You can't be for that if you're not for black sex workers, trans sex workers, uh, non-gender conforming sex workers, uh, marginalized sex workers who are, um, you know, putting their art out there, their thoughts. Um, who are very much so interested in political issues and are very much so able to have those conversations. So, um, I would also say if you're having conversations with those who are not um, involved in sex work or who don't really um, understand what's going on right now with Vesta or what just happened with FOSTA as well, then maybe having conversations with them about it um, or when it comes up, you know... Um, you know, kind of taking a stand if something is being said that is um, a misconception that you know not to be true or, um, you know, directing them to someone's work that would allow them to expand their understanding. And um, I would say, um, more importantly, to show love and support and understand that sex workers get things done. (laughs) (laughs) And um, they can really use... um, people who would show up to their protests, their rallies, you know, the work that they're doing to make sure that um, it's understood that they want basic human rights, that they, too, want to work in, you know, conditions and environments that are healthy and that are supportive and conducive to what they're trying to do and that don't strip away uh, what was supposed to be given to them in the Constitution. And this isn't just going to affect sex workers, too, so this would be, you know, destigmatizing sex workers, also destigmatizing, um, you know, certain ideas around women, for instance, or queer identity, or um, blackness, black womanhood, black queer womanhood, (laughs) and, um, and so on and so forth. What you're doing right now is really important, and
0: I think it's a huge step. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I know. I, my head was about to fall off. I was nodding so hard at what you were saying. It we was were, we were so well put. <laughs>
1: um, going back to something in your answer, you, you mentioned um, misconception and how there are a lot of misconceptions about sex work and sex workers. Um, what would you say is some of the biggest misconceptions about the work that you do?
3: The first thing would be that it isn't work, (laughs) but there is no work involved. This is the easiest thing ever. Um, The word "work" is right in the name. It's um, it's a lot to um, I don't know. It's a lot to you know get ready or to prepare yourself or um, to be in the state of mind to entertain people or um, a lot of. Sex work is also therapy and, um, you know, I've seen sex workers, die swear, are Reiki healers or they're psychologists or, <laughs> and who really are these things aside from sex workers or, um, you know, promoting yourself, marketing yourself, um, you know, getting you some new home gear, all of those things, that's, that's work, um, you know, the physical labor involved, emotional, intellectual labor is all involved in sex work, um, Another one would be um, the idea that, like, racism, homophobia, transphobia, um, misogyny somehow stops at the doors of strip clubs, or it stops uh, when you go onto an escort website, or it stops when you start watching porn, and I'm sure if you scroll down, you know, on... Um, you know, any review site, or if you go to a strip club, or if you've, you know, seen a stroll, (laughs) like, racism is very clear, Um, you know, the misogyny is very clear in these environments, and it affects um, how we work, how we're able to work, and, um, you know, ultimately how others view our work, too, and um, view us. Um, which has a huge part of why people don't even understand why it's important that we fight bills like that. Uh, I'd say another thing, like uh, another huge misconception of sex workers is that they're incapable of being good parents. They're incapable of being around children, period. Um, that they're somehow going to corrupt the youth, <laughs> um, teach them how to twerk on the low and then send them home to their parents or something, Um And I've seen a lot of sex workers who are great parents, who are, uh, you know, teachers or who are artists who work with children, um, you know, who uh, have nieces and nephews that they love, and (laughs) they're human like everybody else. And um, I don't know. Those are huge misconceptions, I think. Maybe that, um, you know, it's not worth it if you're not living in luxury is another one, like... That you should, like, hide your sex work in shame if you're not earning a certain amount of money. Like, I've seen that a lot in sex work documentaries, even from sex workers who um, shame other sex workers. Like, what are you doing this for if you don't even have this, that, or the other? If you don't own this or if you're not making this amount each trip or each night? And the truth doesn't matter Is this is a job like anything else. And like everyone else, a lot of us are... You know, barely making it through the bill cycle. Some of us are struggling to pay tuition. Some of us are taking care of relatives and, you know, loved ones who need us. And we don't have much left after the 1st and the 15th, like a lot of other people.
0: So, Erica, what about folks who think that this legislation, SESTA, will actually crack down on trafficking? Do you think it actually will? Um.
3: This will affect the ability for those who are being trafficked to seek help on online sites. So, if certain search words or keywords or um, conversations are no longer, you know, allowed or if they become suspicious, right, and they could flag your account or get it taken down or have you shadow banned, what have you, then how would one who... Um, you know, is being forced to work in sex work who only has the ability to text real quick, you know, maybe on an app or, you know, have conversations with, you know, other people they may know about this. How would a sex worker who is, um, you know, maybe not trafficked, but who, you know, is dealing with some sort of violent situation, how would they seek help if online you're not allowed to have these sort of conversations or if even rallying together or supporting one another isn't allowed? Um, So, that's just something else I wanted to add is that this does exactly the opposite of what it claims it's supposed to do, which is help those who are being trafficked, help sex workers, um, even though this isn't for sex workers who would be in danger, this puts them more so in danger, sex workers as well as those who are forced into sex work and doing sex work non-consensually.
0: Well, Erica, I can't thank you enough for being here today. Your words were so powerful. And I think you probably, I mean, I hope that if someone out there is listening who had a misconception about sex work, I hope that you helped to destigmatize the work and also open some minds a little bit. I hope so. You've definitely, definitely opened my mind. So I, I really appreciate you being here. Where can folks keep up with you and find out what you're up to?
3: Um. I have a few writing projects that I'm working on, and I'm also a dance teacher, so I'm going back to choreography and things like that, uh, pole dancing and hip-hop instruction for adults, of course, and um, you can find me on Twitter at Rebel cunt. that is cunt, <laughs> Rebel, R E B E L L E C U N T.
0: Well, Sminty listeners, we want to hear from you. What are your thoughts on Sesta? Are you skeptical that this legislation will actually help curb trafficking? Are you involved in the sex work industry? We want to hear. Let us know. You can find us on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast, on Instagram at Stuff Mom Never Told You, and as always, we love getting your emails at momstuff at howstuffworks.com.